You're listening to the teaching of Calvary Paris. For more information, go to www.calvaryparis.com. Well, it's going to be just a few minutes till we stand for the scripture, so kind of sit tight for just a second. I want to do a quick review. I just want to remind you, my style of teaching, I like to do two things. I like to, uh, just for contextual reasons, I like to review and just as far as the timeline goes, kind of understand where we're at in the, in the big picture of things. And number two, I'm not going to trick myself into thinking that I can keep your attention for the full 50 or 55 minutes that Phil teaches. And so expect an early night. So that's, that's always my little, my little reward for you. So we're going to be in uh, Joshua chapter 4 tonight. You can go ahead and flip there and get ready. <clears throat> As you're flipping there, I want you to just listen with your ears on and uh, we'll try to walk us through the Old Testament and try to figure out what is Joshua teaching us. So as you know, in the very beginning, you know, we have the, the fall of Adam and Eve. Sin entered the world, and it was just a disaster from the get-go. However, God chooses Abraham and his family as a way to restore the earth and rescue his children from the destruction of sin. Eventually, Abraham and his family make it to Egypt, it does not go well for them. They end up slaves, millions and millions of slaves everywhere in Egypt, and they are trapped. However, once again, God comes to the rescue, and he leads them out of Egypt and promises them, promises them their very own land, a land of milk and honey, uh, a land where they are just free to live and worship the way they please. So God uses Moses to take them out of Egypt. Now, they're going from point A to point B, Egypt to the promised land. And if you've ever seen a map, it's really not that far. It shouldn't take them long. However, their sin and their disobedience forces them to take just a little bit of a detour, and they end up in the wilderness for 40 years. That's a long time. So as they go through the wilderness, go through the desert, they finally get to the spot where they're about to enter into the promised land, and their leader, Moses, dies. Okay? Horrible timing to die when you're fixing to walk in. But there's a reason for that. I'm sure you remember. Uh, his own sin kept him from being able to enjoy the promised land. So God raises up a new leader named Joshua. And Joshua takes over, and he's a good man, a godly man. And he takes the people from right there on the edge of the promised land into the promised land. So the entire book of Joshua is just a detailed account of going from here across the river into the promised land and, you know, figuring out how they're going to live in the land. So a lot happens in that short amount of time, which is why we have an entire book about it. So if you're a note taker and you uh, feel didn't already cover this, uh, the book of Joshua is 24 chapters long, and it's basically divided into four sections. Section number one is chapters one through five. That is just the Israelites going into the land. Chapters 6 through 12, I'm sorry, I said four sections, I actually mean three. Chapters 6 through 12 is the Israelites battling the people who are in the land so they can, have, uh, they can take rightful ownership. And if you have a problem with that, stay tuned, you'll see why it's uh, a wonderful thing that they're going to go in and battle these people. They're given opportunities to turn to the Lord, but they don't take it. So it's not, uh, it's not an issue of unfairness. So, chapters 13 through 24 Finishes up the book. It's where the land is divided among the 12 tribes. Now, that's a lot of land and a lot of division. That's why it takes half the book to cover that. But there's a lot of little details that you need to know as you go in there. So, 
That brings us to Joshua chapter 4. But before I make you stand, just keep in mind, chapters 1 through 3, if you've been here with uh, Phil teaching the last few weeks, chapters 1 through 3 are essentially them crossing the Jordan River into the Promised Land. So chapter 4 picks up with them finishing going through the river and standing there on the bank of the river, getting ready to press forward. So, there's 24 chapters in the book of Joshua, and there's 24 verses in this book, in this, I don't know what I just said, 24 chapters in the book of Joshua, 24 verses in this chapter. There we go. That was tough for me to say. So, as it just so, it just so happens that 24 is my favorite number, so... Uh, in honor of my favorite number, King Griffey Jr. Any baseball fans in the house? King Griffey Jr.? Nobody? There you go. Thank you. Thanks for, your, thanks for lying and, and raising your hand. Not to make me feel bad. What about... There we go. What about any NASCAR fans in the house? NASCAR, but not baseball? Uh, what is wrong with this church? So Jeff Gordon, he's now retired, but he is the greatest NASCAR driver to ever live. Thank you. He was my favorite. Obviously, he was number 24 too. So let's stand and let's read the 24 verses in the chapter. Joshua chapter 4. It should be on the screen. Verse number 1. When all the people had crossed the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Now choose 12 men, one from each tribe. Tell them, take 12 stones from the very place where the priests are standing in the middle of the Jordan. Carry them out, pile them up at the place where you will camp tonight. So Joshua called together the 12 men that he had chosen. One from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. He told them, go into the middle of the Jordan in front of the ark of the Lord your God. Each of you must pick up one stone and carry it out on your shoulder, 12 stones in all, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. We will use those stones to build a memorial. In the future, your children will ask you, what do these stones mean? And you can tell them. They remind us that the Jordan River stopped flowing when the Ark of the Lord's Covenant went across. These stones will stand as a memorial among the people of Israel forever. Verse 8. So the men did as Joshua had commanded them. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan River, one for each tribe, just as the Lord had told Joshua. They carried them to the place where they camped for the night and constructed the memorial there. Joshua also set up another pile of 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan, at the place where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant were standing, and they are there to this day. The priests who were carrying the ark stood in the middle of the river until all the Lord's commands that Moses had given to Joshua were carried out. Meanwhile, the people hurried across the riverbed. And when everyone was safely on the other side, the priests crossed the river, uh, crossed over with the ark of the Lord, and the people watched, as the people watched. Verse 12. The armed warriors from the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh led the Israelites across the Jordan, just as Moses had directed. These armed men, about 40,000 strong, were ready for battle, and the Lord was with them as they crossed over into the plains of Jericho. That day, the Lord made Joshua a great leader in the eyes of all the Israelites, and for the rest of his life, they revered him as much as they had revered Moses. Verse 15, the Lord had said to to Joshua, command the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant to come up out of the riverbed. 
So Joshua gave the command, and as soon as the priests were carrying the Ark of the Covenant, um, they came up out of the riverbed, and their feet were on high ground, and the water of the Jordan returned and overflowed its banks as it was before. Verse 19. The people crossed the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month. Then they camped at Gilgal, just east of Jericho. It was there at Gilgal that Joshua piled up the twelve stones taken from the Jordan River. Then Joshua said to the Israelites, In the future your children will ask, What do these stones mean? And you will tell them. This is where the Israelites crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the river right before your eyes, and it kept dry until you were all across, just as he did at the Red Sea, when he dried it up uh, until we had all crossed over. He did this so that all the nations of the earth might know that the Lord's hand is powerful, and so that you might fear the Lord your God forever. All right, you may be seated. Let me pray right quick so the Lord will bless this study. Lord, I thank you so much again for the privilege to come and, Lord, teach your people. Lord, I pray that they're blessed by it. Lord, I pray that they, Lord, ignore the words that are not from you, Lord, and they focus on the words that are from you. Lord, I pray that I'm accurate with uh, the presentation of what your word says, and I pray that we can take a lot from it and apply it to our lives. In your name I pray. Amen. All right, so basically what happens here? That was a lot to read. How many of you sighed during the reading of that? It's okay. It's okay to admit it. So basically, here's what happened. They were crossing the river. Now, the Ark of the Covenant stayed put right in the center. Now, I think there's a couple of reasons for that, but I think primarily it was God's way of saying, hey, this Ark is important to me. As long as, as, long as it's sitting here in the middle, nothing's going to happen to you guys. So you guys continue to, to cross. So even in crossing the river, God was thinking of the people, giving them peace and comfort in that time. And also, if you notice, it says they hurried across. So you can only do so much, you know. I guess at the end of the day, they really didn't have that much faith anyways. They were trying to get across before the water came back. So they finally, everybody makes it across, and then the Ark of the Covenant comes across as well. And Joshua says, all right, we need to do two things. Let's take 12 stones, and let's set them up right in the center of the river. That way we won't forget and let's take 12 more, and let's carry them, with us on, carry them with us on our shoulder. And wherever we camp, we'll set them up there and basically probably make a gigantic 12-stone pile. Every time we come back and we see these stones, we can tell our kids and our grandkids and all the generations that come after us what exactly happened here today. So if they are purposeful in Making these stones as a place of remembrance, it means there is something very important that happens here today. Because for generations, even to today, we're looking back at this story and we're saying, okay, something very, very important happened in this story. So, for the sake of ease, I have categorized my study into four points, each starting with the letter R. So, you're welcome for that. It helps you not to have to take notes if you have a good memory. So, Gilgal is where they placed these stones of remembrance. Number one, it was a place of rest for the people of Israel. Number two, it was a place of remembrance for the people of Israel. Number three, it was a place of rededication. And lastly, redirection. So, let's hit these point by point. It won't take long. It's super short. So, pay attention. So, number one. Place of Gilgal was a tremendous place of rest for the people of Israel. Now, you can only imagine 40 years wandering in the desert. I'm sure they've got gigantic, you know, calloused feet, probably looking pitiful like they need a pedicure. And they're exhausted. Their bodies are probably just broken because 
As you know, they didn't have cars to get where they needed to go. It was all pretty much by foot. Uh, I'm sure they had a few animals to ride, but I'm sure only the, uh, only the very weak and weary were able to take advantage of those. So it was mostly walking for everyone. So they were exhausted. And the whole time they were going through the wilderness, for 40 years, they kept thinking in their minds, okay, eventually we're going to get there. God says, God says he's going to give us land. When's it going to be? Because they didn't really know. So they finally get there. And can you just imagine? They cross the river. You know, they're rushing, <laughs> rushing across from their lack of faith running across the riverbank, and they get there. Can you just imagine what that looked like? The people, I'm sure they're just falling on the ground, kissing the ground, celebrating, high-fiving. It was just a place of rest for them. They were so pleased to finally be in the land. Now, it was definitely a physical rest, but it was also a mental and emotional rest. Imagine the emotional turmoil for that long of not really knowing where you're going, just knowing that, well, We're here longer than we should have been because we disobeyed. And yet, eventually, we'll be there. And hey, maybe I'll make it. Maybe I won't. I might die in the meantime, but my kids will probably make it. They just didn't know, right? Gilgal was a place of physical and mental rest. And lastly, it was a place of spiritual rest. God was very, very gracious to them to not just lead them into the promised land, but to use, once again, in typical God-like fashion, to use an incredible miracle to get him across. Now, raise your hand if you were here last week. Excellent. Now, if you remember, this wasn't just a regular river that they were going across. This had to be a big-time miracle because the reason God does miracles is to remind us that, hey, you didn't do this. I'm doing this. So not only did he stop the river, But what did the river look like at the time? Anybody remember? Yeah, it was completely flooded. So the water level was way higher than normal. Now, God's pretty smart. I can just see him sitting in heaven thinking, all right, if I just part this river where it's at, if I I drop the river right now where it's at, I know what people are going to say. People are going to say, well, you know, it was depending on the time of the year. You know, there might not have been as much water flowing. And, you know, if you're only talking about this much water, it wouldn't really be that big a deal to get across. So God makes sure that that mess is cut out. And he says, okay, this place is flooded. It takes a miracle for you to get across on dry ground. Now, before we move on, I can only imagine how strong their faith was and how important, how they just received immediate rest upon walking across on dry ground and seeing literally no water, where there was just water, an entire river. Not only that, but you've got the Ark of the Covenant set up there. So God's telling you, okay, nothing's going to happen. Now imagine, imagine the, just the mountaintop experience, knowing that literally in this moment, as we're cro- walking across here, nobody's going to attack us. We are in God's hand. We are okay. Now this... Gilgal serves as a reminder for us, too, that we need rest. Now, as soon as I say we need rest, the first thing, if you're me anyways, the first thing you go to is, oh, I just need physical rest. And if you're like me and you just work so hard day in and day out and day in, Phil's not here, so I can say that. I won't get called out. Not today, anyways. But... We need physical rest for sure, and it's good, and it's healthy, and we need rest. And of course, we've always been told, you know, the Lord instructs us to take one day a week just to rest. 
And you know what? As you all know, scientific studies now have proven that our body operates at full capacity on a week-to-week basis if we can take one day and just sit and rest. However, oftentimes we take the chance to, uh, we take the opportunity to physically rest, but we don't rest in the right way. Because, let's say you take a day off from your busy, busy job, all right? And you sit in the recliner, you kick your feet up, and you've got your kids running errands, and they're bringing you bonbons and chips and, and Cokes, and that's the way it is at my house anyways. So you're resting, and you've got your feet kicked up, and you're resting, and you're there all day. Well, just physical rest doesn't really get you anywhere, because... Man does not live by bread alone. So there's another kind of rest that we need to really get to the point of rest and relaxation. And that is our spiritual rest. To get fully rested, we have to rest our body and we have to rest our mind. Psalm 73, verse 26. You don't have time to turn there. Just jot it down if you'd like. Psalm 73, verse 26 says, My flesh and my heart may fail, But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Now, my flesh and my heart may fail, but... Now, that that three-letter word there, but, tells me that there's more to rest than just the physical. My flesh and my my heart may fail, but... There's something more, right? It's the spiritual rest. Matthew 11, verse 28. Then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. That is a very important verse to us to remember on a daily basis. Our rest comes physically, sure, but our real rest comes from spending time with the Lord, resting in him. So, point number one, we need rest. Gilgal for the Israelites was rest. Number two, Gilgal was a place of remembrance. God told them, okay, get 12 stones out of this river. They left 12 there in the middle, stacked them up. He said, okay, get 12 more stones, put them on your shoulder. Now, the fact they had to lug them on their shoulder tells you how big they were. They weren't little little rocks. Put them on your shoulder, carry them to where we're going to rest tonight, and we're going to make another pile of 12 rocks, and these are going to be the rocks that you're going to tell your kids about every time you pass by. Okay, this is where God dried up the river. He performed a miracle so we would know that he was with us and that it was him who did this and not us. Now, it just so happens that I recently um, created my own rock of remembrance. Now, how many of you have gotten conned into doing the whole Paris, Texas rocks? Do you know what I'm talking about? For those of you that don't know, there's a Facebook page. And it's actually just what it sounds like, Paris, Texas rocks, to be honest with you. You basically take rocks and you get paint. You paint whatever you want on there, any kind of color or design or anything like that. And you go hide it somewhere, preferably where other people will see it, because that's the fun part. And what they do is, if you're walking along the trail or if you're downtown, you'll see rocks. You've probably seen them, painted rocks. You're probably wondering, what in the world are those for? So you pick up this painted rock, and you're supposed to, and this is the important part. Take a picture of it, post it on Facebook, and let the people know, let the people who hit it know, hey, I found it, I'm going to rehide it. That's the most important part. But... People don't do that, and it's so frustrating. So my family and I have painted um, probably, I don't know, honestly, 500 rocks in the last few weeks. Like it's, our, 
it's our, it's our best, our favorite pastime at this point. So we paint all these rocks and we hide them on the trail. And I have literally seen like maybe six pictures of our rocks. Now that for me, I hope I'm not raining on the Paris, Texas rock parade, but that for me is so frustrating. It makes me not even want to paint anymore because you're going through all the work and effort to do this and hide them and nobody even cares enough to post a picture, right? So I thought of a genius idea. I decided I'm going to come up with my own rock of remembrance. People forget to post a picture on Facebook, so I'm going to do something special. So what I did was I got a rock, and let me clarify, this was not a rock. This was a boulder that I got out of a ditch. And I'm a big guy. I consider myself to be relatively strong. It took everything in my power to the point where I thought the blood vessels in my brain were going to explode from lifting this rock just to put it on my tailgate to transport it, right? And so what I did was I painted this rock a beautiful color with my kids, And I put on there a big Facebook symbol, take a picture and post on Facebook, Paris, Texas Rocks. And I took it with my family to the Eiffel Tower. So go ahead and put that picture up. There are my kids with with that rock. Now, just in case you don't grasp the size of that rock, between my kids is about four feet. So a rock that's about four feet long, and I could barely wrap my arms around it. Now, I'm not good with weight. I know how much I weigh, which is not important. But I don't know how much this rock was. But, I mean, I could barely get my hands around it and lift it. I don't know. It was probably, I don't know, 1,500 pounds? Just kidding. But the point is, it was gigantic. And you can see right there on the side, post pics on Paris, Texas rocks. Eiffel Tower posted it right next. It was going to be a fun thing. It was going to be the new fun thing for Paris to do. Go to Eiffel Tower, post a picture. Guess what? Gone in an hour. I'm not kidding. But that's not the worst part. No pictures on Facebook. That is the truth. Not a single picture on Facebook. So somewhere around Paris, there is this massive rock floating around. And I don't know where it is. But Although, just to add to the story, I did call the Civic Center and ask if they moved it because I didn't want to get in trouble, you know. And he said, no, we didn't move it. And he said, but I'll tell you what I'll do. I will get on the video camera and uh, I will see who took it for you. He said, so when you get ready, you come up here. And uh, I don't know if I just felt convicted or didn't want to waste my time, but I have yet to do that. But I suppose the offer still stands. But my long, pointless story was to tell you this. Rocks of remembrance have a purpose. They are to look at the rocks and remember something specific. Now, I will tell you, I think one of the worst tragedies of sin existing in the earth is that our bodies don't function the way they were created to. And first of all, our brains... Um, there's a, a law of diminishing returns, okay? And it's basically, whatever you start with, you'll never end up with the same amount. It's just, you know. Now, how many of you study for something or you learn something, and really within minutes, you're like, okay, what was it? And then hours later, you're like, okay, I can remember. And the next day, you're like, I remember learning something. That's the way it is for me. And that's really the way it is for everyone. We learn something, and we remember it, and then as time goes on, our memory fades, Now, here's the biggest problem for that. We don't remember the good things about the Lord. Now, if you don't remember the good things about the Lord and who he is and what he has done for you, and you cannot remember how you are supposed to live for Christ, guess what? The way you behave changes drastically. Now, I can tell you as a parent is it's really frustrating to tell your child something, and I'm sure all you parents in the room have dealt with this multiple times, but you tell your child something, Go do this, or make sure you do this, that, whatever. The time comes, and it doesn't get done, okay? And 
On the count of three, let's all tell what comes out of the kid's mouth when you say, why didn't you do this? Ready? One, two, three. I forgot. Very good. That's what my kids say. Now, as someone who's very forgetful, when my kids tell me, ah, I'm sorry, Dad, I forgot, I actually have compassion for them, you know, because I'm a forgetful person. You know, especially this year, I got sick with encephalitis. I'm not going to go into that, but long story short, my memory is just not the same right now. And so I look at my kids, I'm like, I understand, but it doesn't change the fact that if you don't remember something, it doesn't help you practically. So the point is you have to remember whatever it is you need in order to uh, accomplish it. So what I tell my kids is, you know, when they say, oh, I forget, you know, that's the time. You pull them aside, you get out the belt, and you just wear them out until they remember. I'm glad, I'm really glad you laughed. Okay, when I was writing that part, I thought, man, what if they don't laugh? It's going to be really awkward. I'm like, everybody does that, I guess. So, no, I pull them aside and I say, look, I understand you forgot. Daddy forgets too. But part of being a leader, part of growing up being a leader, is trying to figure out how to remember what mommy and daddy say. Okay? And so they remember, or they learn, okay, if I remember one thing and I don't remember another, it's because I prioritized the wrong thing. So, that was a mouthful for me. So, <clears throat> one thing that our, uh, our memories do for us is it helps us let go of the past. Now, in a sinful world, again, tragedy strikes constantly. We go through hard times, and it is easy to get depressed, and it's easy to get wrapped up in the negative things in life. So we have to have moments of remembering what God has done for us and what he will do for us. Now, raise your hand if you've been baptized. Excellent. So we do baptisms, you know, every, every couple of months here, and it's, and it's a good thing. But I would just like to remind you that baptism is not just for the people getting baptized. Baptism itself is just a remembrance. Does getting baptized get you to heaven? No. But we're instructed to do it. And I think one of the big reasons why is because it's something that happens in our life that is a big, momentous event that we will definitely remember. And as new people get saved and they give their life to Christ and they get baptized, we relive the moment every time it happens. So when you, after church, when someone gets baptized and you're watching them get baptized... You should be happy for them, but also remember your own baptism and let it be, a, in essence, a rock of remembrance. Now, I feel like it would be foolish and unwise to talk about remembrance and remembering what God has done for us and what he's going to do for us and who we are in Christ if I didn't just go through real quickly and just name some of the things that God has done, some of the miracles that he uh, did in the Bible. Because just hearing these and reminding them Reminding ourselves of these, it does something to us, uh, to our mind. It, just, it, it tells our, our mind and our body, okay, God is the one who did these. It's the same God that lived yesterday, same God today, same God forever, right? So as I list these things, I want you to just implant them in your brain, and I hope it does for you what it did for me. So the number one thing that God did for us is he created the universe. Now, the kicker on that is out of nothing. Now, I tell my kids, and I tell the kids in children's ministry, there's a big difference between create and make. If you make something, it means you take other things, put them together, and you make something from other things. If you create something, it means it came from nothing. God created the universe. What about the ten plagues? I think that was quite a miracle. I don't think any of those happened just naturally. He provided manna for his people when they were hungry. He provided water out of a rock when they were thirsty. 
He parted the sea, allowed them to go over on dry ground. He stopped a river from flowing, as we learned today. He crushed the massive walls of Jericho with no weaponry whatsoever. Just people walking around in a circle. And stay tuned because that's stop number one in the book of Joshua. That's where they go next. He kept Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego alive while being on fire in a furnace. He saved Jonah from drowning by using a fish. Keep in mind, it was not punishment for Jonah to be swallowed by a fish. It was a rescue. Because if you remember, it says, you know, he he basically tried to kill himself um, just to keep from doing the Lord's work. How many of you have been there? That was a joke, too. So he tried to kill himself, so he could not go preach to the people, right, in Nineveh. He said, that's it. Just throw me overboard, and I'm going to die. So that's what happens. They throw him overboard. And it says, right as he was about to drown, God sent a fish to rescue him, right? So he saved Jonah. He kept David, or excuse me, he kept Daniel safe in a den of hungry lions. He made blind people see. He made lame people walk. He made the deaf hear. He fed thousands of people with basically a kid's sack lunch. He raised the dead. He raised from the dead. And a pretty important one here. He saved us from an eternal destruction, an eternal punishment in hell. So the point of reading the Bible as often as you can is it serves as a reminder and a remembrance. It's the purpose of keeping our minds sharp with things in the Bible, what we read. It, it reminds us of who God is. Now, I remember becoming a Christian at a young age, and everyone pushed so hard. Okay, now read your Bible, read your Bible. And it became such a chore because nobody, honestly, not that I recall anyways, but I, wasn't, I probably wasn't paying attention or I don't remember. Nobody really uh, taught me that you read and you learn in the Bible to remember who God is. It's really just that simple. It's to help us remember who God is. So, Gilgal was, number one, a place of rest. Number two, a place of remembrance. Now, number three, these last two go fast, so sit up and pay attention. Number three is Gilgal, for the people of Israel, was a place of rededication. Now, here at Gilgal, after seeing this miracle and seeing their new leader in action and understanding that their new leader was somebody who really pursued God and really listened to God, or else this whole miracle thing would not have happened. But through that, they were reminded that they were to remain faithful to God because he is good and he keeps his promises. When we remember who God is and what he has done, we're able to refocus our lives on something very important. Now, oftentimes we hear of people rededicating their life. I think that's fantastic. Oftentimes people will do it, you know, after several years of not really pursuing the Lord. I think it's a fantastic thing. But rededication doesn't happen. It doesn't only happen every few years. It's what needs to happen on a daily basis. Rededicate our lives to God. Rededication. Refocus our mind. And really, that's what the church is here for. We come here on a Sunday morning and a Wednesday night to rededicate our hearts to the Lord. Now, real, real quick, so the story of Daniel, for those of you who don't remember, the Israelites were basically ripped away from their home into captivity and, you know, basically into another, 
you know, into slavery again, more or less. And so Daniel was one of them, and Daniel loved the Lord. And a lot, of, a lot of his daily routines on how he pleased the Lord were taken from him. But one thing that always stuck out to me in Daniel's life is this is what it said. Daniel purposed in his heart not to sin. He dedicated his heart to the Lord and purposed himself not to sin. That's fantastic. I love that. Now, how did David keep that dedication and keep his heart towards the Lord and, and be purposeful not to sin? One way is three times a day he went away by himself to pray. He got with the Lord, he rested, he remembered who the Lord was, and he rededicated his heart. Now, how do we today rededicate our hearts? How do, how do we um, go through this rededication process? Romans 12.2 says, Do not copy the behavior and customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Just go into the Lord. Spend time in prayer, reading the word. Now, this is why it's very important for those of you who are married, for those of you who are newlyweds in any relative fashion, listen up to this part because this will prove to be important to you. Once a year, you celebrate your anniversary. And it is an important time to go away, get, get to the side, and just talk about your relationship. Talk about when you dated, how you met, why you fell in love with them, why you married them. Talk about the wedding day. You know, even, you know, watch the wedding video and, um, you know, sit there, sit there on the couch, you know, with your arm around your spouse and, you know, trying not to cry and, and trying to, you know, convince her that you were still the emotional leader in the, in the house. And even though she laughs at you and, and pokes fun at you for crying and, Sorry, anyways. It's important to get together and learn, relearn, rededicate, and remember why you fell in love with the person you did. And that's what we do on a minute-by-minute and day-by-day basis. So, just to recap. Number one is rest. You will remember these when you leave here today. Number one is Gilgal was a place of rest. Number two, Gilgal was a place of remembrance. Three, a place of rededication. Now, next week, there's actually more to this rededication story. Uh, Next week in chapter five, you'll learn what they specifically did to rededicate themselves. I'm thankful to the Lord that I was not assigned to that chapter. If you want to be an overachiever and go read, I can't wait to poke fun of Phil next week when he teaches it. It's awkward. I'll just tell you that. So lastly, number four, Gilgal was a place of redirection. So again, as you learn in the next few weeks, part of what happened at Gilgal was they stayed there and they received instruction from God. They needed to know, all right, we made it into the promised land. We made it across the river. Here we are. We're happy. We're celebrating. We love you, Lord. What's next? And God gives his instruction to Joshua to give to the people. So God gives them their marching orders for what they're going to do, how they're going to go into the promised land, how they're going to remove the evil people from the land. And without direction from God, they are left to themselves. And anytime we are left to ourselves, it does not go well. 
Now, this is one of the most difficult practical things in our lives. Um, Gilgal was a place of new instruction. Now, I can't tell you how many times I hear on probably a weekly basis that I just don't know what, the, what God has for me in this season of life, or I'm just waiting to hear from the Lord. I totally understand that thought, but I want to give you two things to help ease that frustration. Number one, there is enough guidance on personal holiness in the Bible to where you don't have to worry about major decisions in your life. If you will just focus on the small things and live in a pure and holy life, you'll have more than you can handle, I promise. And number two, if your primary concern is to honor God and to live for him, you really don't have to fret and worry about where you're going to go or God answering this big time prayer. Because oftentimes it's like, well, I didn't really clearly hear from the Lord, so I guess I'll just, you know, I'll just I'll step out in faith and just do this. That's what God wants you to do. Oftentimes you have no idea what you're doing, or where you're going, but God gets you to where he wants God's really good at saving us from ourselves. If you are truly trying to live for the Lord, live for the Lord, and truly trying to live a holy life, I promise you, any mistake you make along the way on, on taking this job or going to this place, going to plant this church, I promise you, he'll cover your mistakes. Just a little personal story for me. I, I'm one of those people that I'm describing right now. It's really difficult to, for me to remember any one or two moments in my, in my life where I was like, oh, the Lord wants me to go do this. Like, I've always felt a little lost in life. I've never really planned any major move in my life that I actually went through with anyways. I planned a lot, but no, it never happens. Um, but as I grow older and I look back at my life and I see, okay, I was here and then I was originally supposed to be a music major and, you know, I changed my mind on that and I went this route and that route and, you know, now I'm, you know, wiping snot from kids' noses in children's ministry. It's never a place where I'm like, this is what I want to pursue and this is where I want to go. But as I look back, it's fantastic to see different times in my life where it's like, okay, the Lord obviously wanted me there at that job because now I can see what he did in me through that job or, or through that place or through this decision. Proverbs 16, verse 9, and I'll close with this. Proverbs 16, verse 9, it says, We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. Amen to that? We can make the plans all we want, and we can try to figure out we're going to go in this direction or that direction or that direction, but the Lord plans our steps. So I'll close with a practical question for each of my four points. Number one, Gilgal was a place of rest, and we need a place of rest as well. So let me ask you, are you weary? Are you emotionally or spiritually tired and worn out, or are you burnt out? What do you need to do to rest? Are you working too much? Are you spending too much time with technology or anything like that that you need to just take a break from that's distracting you? Number two, remembrance. In the same way the people of Israel had to remember what God had done for them, that's what we need to do as well. So let me ask you, are you a critical person like myself? Are you a forgetful person? 
Do you often wonder if God has left you? Do you feel neglected? How will you choose to fill your mind with the truth that God is still working in your life? Number three, rededication. Have you lost sight of what is important in life? Do you care for the things of the world more so than the things of God and the world to come? Like Daniel, we need to purpose in our hearts to flee sin and live for Jesus. Number four, redirection. Are you confused about what you should be doing? Do you lack direction in your life? I can promise you God knows exactly where you are and he knows exactly where you're going to be. Just like Proverbs 16 says, we can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. So it's time for a Gilgal moment here at this church, church churchwide and for you personally. Find a place, find a time to rest, get away from the things of the world, get away from distractions, focus on the Lord Remember him, rededicate your heart, and receive direction. Amen? Amen.